Hi, I'm Dr. Paula Redmond, a clinical psychologist, and you're listening to the When Work Hurts podcast. On this show, I want to explore the stories behind the statistics of the mental health crisis facing healthcare professionals today, and to provide hope for a way out through compassion, connection, and creativity. Join me as I talk to inspiring clinicians and thought leaders in healthcare about their unique insights and learn how we can support ourselves and each other when work hurts. In this week's episode, I spoke with Dr. Claire Davies, GP and coach, about her experiences of being a doctor patient. She talks about the challenges she faced when she received a serious physical health diagnosis and the complexities of being a sick doctor. I started by asking her how it all began. I think it was 2008 or 2009. I was in my mid-30s. I was used to having really robust health and I just wasn't feeling quite right for a number of months, six or eight months. It took me a really long time to go to the doctor, like a typical medic. So what was going on there? What, what do you think was getting in the way of you? I think it was a mixture of things. My symptoms were quite odd. So being a medic, I was trying to make sense of them myself and I couldn't. Um, And actually, I think most patients will go to the doctor and we see a lot of symptoms that don't make sense to us as GPs, but patients just bring them because I couldn't intellectualise them. I actually thought, how on earth am I going to explain this? So I had these tiny little joint pains, which I knew were not going to fit the criteria for anything. And I I was intermittently exhausted. But also what kept happening to me was a really weird thing. I just felt so spaced out. Um, And I I had no way of going in and saying these things are happening to me using language that I would use at work. Um, I think I found it really hard to bridge that thing between a doctor and a patient actually at that time because of the type of symptoms I had. What was it then that kind of led you to going to the doctor? It was sort of early Christmas uh, and then the new year. I I just crashed with exhaustion and I did go to my GP and I think I went in there with my own working diagnosis that I must have um, some sort of infection somewhere. And they went along with that. I think that's a real doctor-patient thing that we sort of collude with what the eye, colluded with what my idea was. But um, I did get some bloods done and they, they weren't quite right. And then I did another very doctor thing. I think that uh, I really catastrophized. Um, Uh, couldn't identify with having abnormal blood results, me. Um, It's quite funny just talking about this now, actually, and realising so many things just telling you this story. So then what happened um, is in one of my workplaces at the time, so I had two, um, we did another very doctor thing as my colleague um, got me in with someone's clinic at the end of that morning. Um, because I was also convinced I had a tropical disease um, because I'd travelled so much. I'd been, I'd been in some quite crazy places. So I'd been um, 
about 18 months before I'd been in Mali in the desert. Um, and I, I thought I maybe I'd pick something lingering from there. And, and tropical diseases were one of my interests. So I've given myself a tropical disease. So I ended up there. And um, the doctor was very nice, but he ran all the tropical disease things. But one thing he wondered about was autoimmune disease. And I was at, in my mind, I was absolutely, no, that is not me. That is not, you know, I must have a tropical disease. I think I was determined to have a tropical disease. I sort of thought I was Kate A.D. who ended up on the tropical medicine unit once with a, a you know rare hemorrhagic fever. So that was probably who I wanted to be. <laughs> and is that because there's something a little bit, I don't know if this is the right word, but kind of glamorous? Yes, I, I think so. But also I... Um, you, a lot of them are kind of eminently treatable so I think there was also a hope pinned to that um and so I had my bloods done and a chest x-ray and had um a little bit of time off work and went back for my results and um the doctor just he just looked really serious uh, he said it looks like you've got lupus and I just I could not believe it at that moment I actually did not accept it and um, I went out and I remember sitting in a cafe um, near the hospital and my, my husband's not medical and I was trying to tell him about what this thing is and I felt like it like it was a disaster because I all I could think of was all the um, all the times I'd seen in hospital patients with lupus, and I'd seen a lot of young women who'd had really severe strokes, and I just thought, oh my god, that is what's going to happen to me. So I was just I was completely devastated because of my medical knowledge. I think some patients would have just taken that, so we'll just have to see what happens. Or they may, might be really, really anxious. But I think my medical experience of that disease just like devastated me. And what was it like, that the interaction with the doctor giving you that diagnosis? I think he was trying to be really kind and um, quite serious. Um, I felt like as soon as we crossed into that diagnosis, I felt like something had changed. And I don't know now if that has come from my projections on because something had changed about me or, you know, if you suddenly have a serious diagnosis that something changes in your colleagues. Because for me, it felt like really crossing over to the other side of something. You're suddenly not invincible. And how did that evolve then? You kind of coming to terms with the diagnosis, or whether you did, or well, I didn't come to terms with the diagnosis for um for a very very long time. So this isn't exactly answering your question, but what happened to me is you know I got sort of put through quickly to see the you know really top person, and he said yes, that's the diagnosis, and he said you'll be, um, you know, you should be better very quickly he was very very positive about it and he thought he said you could you know feel better in a month or two and this was going on and then my blood test said I was in remission and it was going on and on and um six or nine months later and I said that there's something still not right with me and I realized I had a lot of digestive symptoms and 
I, you know, I pushed for another referral. Actually, luckily, we had private health insurance. And this is a whole other story. But eventually, something else was wrong with me. So I had two diagnoses. Um, so I had small bowel bacterial overgrowth as well. And um, that proved really, really difficult to manage. It took about four or five years to get on top of that. So I spent the whole time feeling ill. And, and during that time, I hadn't come to terms with anything. So two quite big diagnoses at the same time. Yeah. So how how did that impact your identity do you think having that um so it was interesting that um for some reason these two diagnoses did not match my identity um so i consider myself um quite a plain speaking logical person i'm from yorkshire i say what i think so i think i would have manage much better if I had a disease that behaved or diseases that behave more logically and predictably. So lupus is notorious for being unpredictable and small bowel bacterial overgrowth was, was really difficult to manage. That that was the, actually the really difficult thing to manage. So I could not match the whole thing that I had unpredictable, difficult to manage diseases. I would have expected something linear and logical hence a tropical disease. I've never heard anyone who's a doctor-patient describe it in that way that more thing may be unique to me, but I definitely had a big identity thing going on there that I had the wrong diseases. And what was it like working during that time? Quite rubbish, really. I think just how tired I was. And there's, there was immense pressure I put on myself to be in work partly because being back at work meant being myself again. So it was like a marker for myself that if I was in work, I would be okay. But I think the emotional labour that we do um, as, as medicine is very tiring. And, and very often I would be seeing patients that I really got the impression they were not feeling as bad as I did. And how about how things were with with your colleagues did you feel did you let them know yes I did say what was going on for me because I needed the time off I think I painted a picture that I was doing better than I was I have a feeling just generally talking with colleagues that people don't know what to say still now in this time if I mention it I think people don't seem to know how to react to it and it's funny, I was talking about this with someone this weekend who'd had an operation and recovered and, and it seemed absolutely fine to talk to colleagues about it as if it was something sort of straightforward where people were expected to recover. That was a lot easier to talk about with people. Yeah, because it's interesting just thinking about the nature of, of the diagnosis that you had that, and excuse my ignorance and lack of medical knowledge, but there's a sense of, of those illnesses being m much more um, systemic or kind of part of you, like really core all through you. Whereas, you know, if you've got something that, like you said, is um, a foreign thing, like a tropical disease, that's something that's come to reside in you and can be taken out. 
but that's clearer, simpler, less entangled up with, with you as a person, whereas these kind of illnesses are um, less discreet from you as a person. Yeah, I think it's uh, it has to integrate into your whole being. And I, and I will say it absolutely has integrated into my whole being, absolutely. I had a a colleague who was very, very, very active and had had a heart attack with no obvious reason. And he was really helpful. He just said, you know, um, you have this thing and, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. And he said, just after a while, it just, he said, it just became part of me, but he had to go through this process. And I think it was something that really threatened his identity as well um he went and did far too much after his heart attack and blocked up his own stent quite quickly after his heart attack and I completely see why he did that because he was quite like me like quite an adventurer but I think because he felt well after you all got sorted out he integrated with him much quicker it took it took him a couple of months whereas I was just going on with this thing for years and how have you managed to come to that place of, of feeling more integrated with it? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think I went through a process of deciding that I had to find the meaning in my own life every day, no matter how good or bad I was feeling. I actually found a couple of patients quite helpful with the same diagnosis. So sometimes you can see a patient and they're doing really badly and it's awful. It's quite traumatising. But also so a number of patients who are doing really well. And I was just like, um, Claire, you know, these patients are living their lives. <laughs> You've got to learn from that. And I also believe that, you know, your own growth comes often from challenge. And I think... I Actually, changing the way I was thinking about the whole thing made a really big difference. And actually, once I changed the way I was thinking about the whole thing, that a lot of the symptoms got a lot better, and then that made it a lot easier. And what was it that, that shifted in your thinking? I think a, there must have been an acceptance about my identity. There was definitely something where I just started to look for more meaning and enjoyment in every day as a way of changing my thinking. Um, I had to stop reading about it. That had been a problem. And that definitely made a big difference to me. I remember when I was first diagnosed, um, you know, because I was such an adventurer and traveller that there was this I was really devastated that I was told that it, going in strong sunlight could trigger a flare-up. So that was a bit of a, well, it was a complete nightmare for me. And I remember kind of vowing that I was going to get over this. But it's a sort of thing about having a battle against your disease. And I think for me, that was the wrong term to stop battling against the disease, to start live, live with alongside the issues. Um, I'm quite, I'm, I'm really into all this stuff about how positive psychology and everything affects your physical health. And for me, that, that's that been a huge part of it as well. And I actually have gone on and I have lived abroad again 
since. I've lived in Ethiopia since and I've been fine. I have actually done a lot. I have got a lot of places with sort of working on that whole mind, emotion, body connection. I really like that point that you made about kind of dropping the battle, dropping the struggle with it and and learning to live alongside it and that being quite key to opening things up for you rather than things being shut down. I'm quite proud now of the fact that I've got through all of that and I would say that there is something about, you know, the medicine you take and seeing the doctor and all of that kind of thing. But I also did a lot of things for myself and um, but probably too much being a doctor. But I do think um, you can do an awful lot of things to look after yourself and get the best for your health. And I really also, I, I really think that's important as well. Because I, I guess there's a sense of, you know, when you, you talked about that moment of, of receiving the, the initial lupus diagnosis and that sense of having crossed to the other side, that it's a bit like it's a kind of either or, like you're either a doctor or a patient. And then it's very difficult to, to as you said, integrate those two. And I wonder whether at this point you feel... Um, how, how how you relate to, to that doctor identity, whether you feel that that is still diminished by your physical health diagnoses or... or... Absolutely, like not at all. I think the, the process of being a doctor patient, initially before we got into bad news territory, I was absolutely fascinated by being on the other side. It was really illuminating. And I... I've still learned an awful lot from the experience. Like I, I think now it's just amplifying as a, a person. You know what it's like, you know, before you go into the doctor, that, you know, you're thinking about what you're going to say and, um, you know, what it's like to be nervous about test results. Um, you know what it's like to live, you know, with persistent symptoms. I know what it's like to have struggles with your mental health because of all that. Um, so uh, having that lived experience, I think, deepens your empathy and understanding in clinical practice. It, it's been really useful. I, I won't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> it has been really useful to go through that. And I think it's taught me more about just sitting with a problem. It's something patients really appreciate that to just sit with a problem and it, it can take longer than you think it's going to. Yeah, I can imagine that must be very valuable to patients, that that sense of um, being alongside people, I guess, in the experience. Mm. I'm wondering, given your kind of journey with this, what what wisdom or, or support you might want to offer your your past self? Well, one thing I always wish I'd done is that I wish I'd taken a couple of months off sick at the beginning. I always wonder if that would have made more of a difference to me. So I think um, generally for doctors, you take more time off and plan for more time off than you think you need. What, and what got in the way of you taking that time? Oh, that was completely self-imposed. <laughs> completely. Um, there are times... Uh, I think there is um, pressure from systems to get people back to work far sooner. I have seen that play out 
Um, so it can be coming from your colleagues. I, I think with me, it was absolutely self-imposed. Um, but I've also I've also heard of other things where people, you know, have been started on medication, and uh, their colleagues are like, "Well, you'll be back to work shortly then," and and they won't because the lot of things take a long time to work. So from from your own perspective, do you think that was about, um, you know, wanting to be in work or? Um, a fear about what it might mean for you to be taking time off or what people might think about you taking time off? It was all of those things. So it's what people think. There's that whole doctor thing of being stuck in the helper mode and not being able to accept help for yourself. And I, I think I was so strongly identifying with my work that I thought that being in work would make me feel better about everything so it's holding on to an identity thing as well so anything else any other kind of wisdom that you would have wanted to offer yourself I think when you're really stressed about all these things you have to get some attention for your mind so the you know the more stressed I've got about everything the more I was just focused on symptoms so, you know, whatever it is to attend to your mental and emotional health, whether that's, you know, going and talking to someone professionally or doing things um, that are, you know, self-nurturing. So I, I actually um, spent an awful lot of time gardening. Um, it was kind of really healing um, in a way that I can't really describe, but I always had enough energy to get out and do that. So, you know, it can be anything for people, it might be knitting or whatever. I think having some support. So for one thing for me is I just found it really, really difficult to ask for help. Even though I was pushing for appointments and in somewhere for some help, I'd go in there and think, I just can't say what's wrong with me. I can't say how bad it is. And getting some support with that. And I have a really supportive husband who started coming along to appointments with me. Partly to remember everything that's been said, actually. You just can't remember everything doctors are saying to you. And also as a benchmark, like coming out, going, was that okay? Was that reasonable? Or was that not reasonable? And I think a, a really, really strong thing for me was finding a doctor or doctors that can cope with doctors of patients it is an art form I I found an amazing gastroenterologist in the end like it was he was brilliant because he could cope with the doctor side of me and go at the, the, the right level but he could also sort of take charge when it was needed I don't think that's in any manual anywhere how to do that I have a really good GP who's used to me okay. yeah yeah <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think finding healthcare staff that are um, comfortable enough in their own skins to deal with doctors, because not everyone is, or not everyone knows. I still wonder when I've got doctor patients, or you know, I know that they think that they've got this wrong with them, and I'm not sure, and am I confident enough in the diagnosis to tell them it's really not that? Um, it is hard. Yeah, I do a lot of work. It, it sort of therapy work with psychologists and I find it you know it's really challenging because that kind of you know imposter syndrome is looms very large if you um it's hard to kind of hold on to your professional authority um in in those situations and it's really tricky because I guess you're trying to strike a balance between um 
you know, respecting the other person's professional knowledge and wisdom, but also um, allowing them to let that go too, or, or needing to encourage them to let that go sometimes so that they can be looked after. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult. And I think one of my bugbears at the time was I looked at some stuff on doctor patients and the only things that were around at the time were really about um, mental health and addictions which is an issue in itself but there was nothing about how hard this was just to be a doctor patient I don't know if there's anything more now there's something on um, a website called the joyful doctor about a course about how to be a doctor patient it's run by a psychiatrist called dr caroline walker um so for anyone listening who's struggling at this point that might be something useful to to look at i, I haven't done it because i don't feel like that's something i need at this point in time but it's certainly some help with how to how to be, how to ask, how to behave, when to, you know, when to push. There's a lot of stuff I've read about the way to be a doctor patient is to go in and just be very accepting and hand all your trust over to your colleagues. And I don't think it can work like that because we know that things can go wrong uh, and we, we know a lot about that. So we are going to be alert to that when we go in and we come in with a different knowledge level and that, that just needs acknowledging. Even when we're totally wrong, I think that bit needs to be heard. My gastroenterologist, <laughs> he had this way with him. He would be quite friendly. Um, so that was when you went in, so it's a bit more like a peer thing. And then he would listen to me, so get listened to and empathise. And then I would probably come up with something I'd read. And he just always had um, superior knowledge that wasn't written anywhere that he would then come up with and sort of tell me how it, how it was while taking into account my views. And it was just such a, a skillful way of kind of gently shutting down the doctor part of me. But, you know, he did it so nicely. I, lo- I loved it, actually. Just have nothing but um, praise for him. And I mean, my GP is great as well. I make sure I always see the same GP if I can. So, yeah, it, it's a tough line to tread. And it's funny, isn't it? Because I guess there's a there's an idea that being a doctor patient is something that might be quite rare. But I guess as a person living in a human body, <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's going to be everyone at some point and I guess there's varying degrees of of what people might be carrying and going through but it's funny that we um we still struggle with that you know that identity dilemmas is still really or conflict really strong it's interesting when you say there must be a lot of doctor patients because there must be but I don't know of many or can think of any who are openly struggling with or managing successfully chronic diseases this may be going off tack a bit but um just to give you another example um like I didn't feel like I could talk about my blood results with any of my colleagues but my husband has really really badly damaged his knee there's a kind of spectacular list of things wrong on the MRI everyone loves to talk about that and go wow you know you really wrecked your knee that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but if I came up and said, oh, look at my autoantibodies, I'm sure that would shut everybody down. But the knee can be fixed, hopefully. <laughs> and I wonder if there's something really functional about that identity divide, that in order to kind of do the work that you do, um, it's a kind of protective thing to have a sense of them and us in a way. Um that it's quite threatening to be confronted with an idea that you're just as vulnerable as the next person as a doctor. I agree with that. I've, I've read things about that, that, you know, in order to do the work and witness the amount of suffering uh, and, what, you know, what it is to, um, to live and breathe and die as a human, we need to be protective to some point. So trying to do the work while dealing with the other side of it uh, is very difficult. I mean, I, one thing I heard was, you know, the um, doctor that I'd been under for the lupus did a radio show, and I think these statistics are probably old, uh, but he said, you know, about one in seven of his lupus patients were dead within seven years. I really thought, I was, I was in such a state, I really thought, well, I'm going to die by the time I'm uh, 45. I'm 51 now. Still, <laughs> yeah, I can laugh now. Um, still going. Um, but yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge thing to deal with. And, and you're often looking at a lot of, you know, really negative statistics. You don't see the people that are living well with their issues because they're out busy living well. So Claire, where are you at with this now? How how are you kind of negotiating those identities now? You've talked about it feeling kind of integrated and I, I actually just feel totally cool with the whole thing. It's fine. I'm really proud of having been through it and I think it has been um a huge learning experience. I found that actually once I've been through that for such a long time I actually grew as a doctor that I I was a lot more comfortable to sit with big stuff so when I was quite a junior GP if someone came in with a really big bereavement you sort of of felt oh god you know what am I gonna say I just now it's like okay bringing that and that's you know just comfortable to to sit with that so it it made me a lot more settled at taking on big stuff um just in life in general and about you know if there are problems and you know you sometimes just don't know what's going to come up that will help you solve or change the course of that problem so more accepting just of uncertainty in life I feel quite proud of myself of the things I've done to negotiate that and to have had that experience like now I would I wouldn't change it now I wouldn't when when I was um, working in the humanitarian sector, I worked with a big group of psychologists and psychotherapists who did assessments of people's fitness to go and work in war zones and so, so on. And what, one thing they always looked at was for adverse experience as a marker of, um, you know, people's growth and strengths and personal development. And until I was 35, I hadn't really had an adverse experience. I was extraordinarily privileged. Well, I've had one, <laughs> I've had more than one now. But, you know, from a personal point of view, it's been it's been really useful. But I say that in a position of, like, feeling really good. I feel normal 
and I'm grateful every day for waking up and feeling feeling normal. So Claire, I know that you know one of the the new avenues that you've been exploring recently is is coaching alongside being a, a GP. What's that been like for you? In a time of great difficulty for in medicine in the pandemic, it's been really really energizing. I've really, I think, part of my whole journey realized you know the power of ourselves helping people to come up with their own ideas, their own solutions, and see more than there is that's available to them, obviously, at that time. And I, um, coaching actually really helped me with my health. Um, one thing one thing <laughs> coach did with me and my health, she said, I'm going to make you write down 100 reasons why you are grateful to have this illness. And um, it sounded impossible, but I, I think I got to like 98. But I did come, I did get a long way with that list. Um, and it's it just, it started to change my thinking about the whole thing. And in that coaching, I've gotten courage to do do the things that make you nervous. You know, then you, you know, you actually get your successes that way. So it's something that I really want to pass on, I think. One of the challenges in medicine is that patients come to us in in peril for whatever reason. So they bring a lot of negativity and that is infectious and we get, you know, we can get into that place really easily. Um, So sort of lifting people out of that place. It's great. I I love it. I really love it. Yeah, and I like how you said about it being really energising. So something that can, I guess, sustain you and and nurture you for the other parts of your professional life that that might, you know, be still really important and meaningful for you, but really difficult and and draining at times. Yes. And it's useful with patients as well, if it's the right moment, just to help people come up with their own solutions actually one thing that's been really really nice is notice things about patients that are positive and affirming of them so noticing when they've tried really really hard before they've come to the doctor or you know even that patients that we find challenging trying to think actually I've noticed you you're really persistent here or you've, you've been really resilient and staying with this situation in your family and you can hear that they're really moved by that so it's a skill that you've been able to bring into your gp work to yeah. to enhance yeah that. it's great and actually that skill of just listening at a deep level and sometimes um asking permission to give advice because we're there as doctors to tell people what to do with medically and sometimes um Sometimes people don't necessarily want to be told what to do. I I had quite a powerful moment when uh, a patient was telling me all the things that had gone wrong on their hospital admission. And my normal reaction would be to listen to the story and say, well, actually, that sounds okay. And I acknowledge you're feeling really bad, but it sounds like the medical treatment was okay. At the end of it, I said, would it be helpful if I made a comment on your management during the admission? And she said, no, I just wanted to talk about it. But really, thanks for listening. It was quite a powerful change. So Claire, if if people want to kind of find out more about your coaching services and and how they might be able to get in touch with you, what what are the best ways to do that? Okay, so um, you can go on my website, www.clairelouisedavies.com. 
Um, I'm also very active on LinkedIn. Um, you can probably find me here and there on Paula's feed as well. Um, or um, Claire at ClaireLouiseDavies.com. I mainly coach doctors who are struggling professionally or looking to kickstart a new side hustle or career or indeed um, if anyone has a health issue their health issues even and they're struggling to be a doctor patient um, very happy just to have an informal chat about the process thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast please do share it with others post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. I'd love to connect with you, so do come and find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also sign up to my mailing list to keep up to date with future episodes and get useful psychology advice and tips straight to your inbox. All the links are in the show notes. Thanks again, and until next time, take good care.